Although I'm a doctor by profession, I'm not your doctor. All content and information on this podcast and on our website is for informational and educational purposes and does not constitute medical advice and does not establish any kind of patient-client relationship by use of our site. Although we strive to present accurate information, the podcast and website are not a substitute for your healthcare provider. Always consult a healthcare professional who knows your particular needs and circumstances before making any health-related decisions. Also, there are curse words that are unedited and graphic descriptions of bodies, bodily fluids, and other real-life scenarios that might make some listeners uncomfortable. I'm Dr. Suzanne Ciotti. And I'm Becca Hammer. Welcome to the Perry Meta Podcast. of the day. My new best friends, anxiety, depression, and mood. Suzanne, I think if you are someone who knows me, you know oh, I'm yeah. pretty even keel. I'm slow to get angry. I'm generally cheerful. I have a real like cup running over. That's sort of why I love hanging so out imagine... with you so much. <laughs> That's why I'm well loved. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. So imagine my family's surprise when, for what seemed like no good reason, I would turn on a dime and be the most ruthless bitch on the planet, all because a dish was left in the sink. Yeah. I swear to God, I don't know who that person is. I just know I scared the hell out mm-hmm. of my husband, right. my kids, you know, right? <laughs> I started putting the pieces together with my other constellation of symptoms, and I connected bingo, it to perimenopause. Bingo, bingo. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I, you know, I've been pregnant several times. I'm familiar with how hormones mm-hmm. impact mood swings. But when I was pregnant, I just cried at everything. TV commercials with babies, the delicious, <laughs> the deliciousness of a hostess cherry pie. Don't ask. That's a good story. Uh, but, this, but it is a good story. Uh, but this time around, I am angry. I am just angry, like white hot homicidal anger. Think back to relationships that I've had with these women who I thought they were the sweetest, kindest people ever <laughs> until they weren't. I, I thought, I literally thought they just yeah. got sick of being nice all the time. They just took their filters off. Like, mm-hmm. fuck it, I'm, I'm not going to be nice anymore. But in retrospect, I, I think they were probably in perimenopause and had no more control mm-hmm. of their mood swings than I did. It's crazy. Well, all that story being said, I want to encourage you, the listener, to share this episode with your spouse, your partner, your family, people who care about you. Yeah, you know, you see, most of the symptoms of perimenopause, we keep to ourselves because apparently nobody in my family is interested <laughs> in hearing about my crimes and periods <laughs> or inability to sleep. But this one, this one impacts everyone you love right. and everyone who loves you. They should understand what are you going through and how do you support you through this time? So you listen mm-hmm. and then Great share idea, this Becca. I encourage that too. Yeah. Listen yeah. with the one who is in your household Thanks. to this podcast. So you both have an understanding of what you're going through. Yes, yes, yes. A hundred times yes. So, so, all right, then with all things in this series, I would love to know 
what is going on and wh- why is this happening? I know this and one is a tough one because it. as we know a lot of our symptoms of menopause sometimes they have multiple reasons why they might be happening and there are a lot of things to consider with our moods because they can be influenced by so many things and you know we know that that hormones definitely affect moods. I I think, Becca, that you brilliantly observed in the Crime Seed Periods podcast that if a woman is having extremely heavy, unpredictable periods every two weeks and not sleeping, what the heck is there to be happy about, right? I mean, it's just a very circumstance. You wonder why I'm moody? Really? Of course a woman's moods are bad. Not to mention the other common symptoms of weight gain, joint pain, fatigue, loss of hair. It's as if our bodies have become completely unpredictable again. Just at the time of our lives that we are the most busy, right? We're very productive with work and maybe also family um, or other commitments that we've, we've decided to take on. So it's well known that for any person, male or female, those life stressors compound and detrimentally affect our mood. So maybe just the circumstance of being busy might affect your mood and make you feel overwhelmed, might increase your anxiety, might cause some trouble with insomnia. For example, say you're not sleeping and you have more joint pain, you might not be able to do your long schedule that your job or family demands. So this feeling of being out of control will worsen your mood all by itself, and it'll increase the tendency towards anxiety. So there might, that might be mood related. I think it's, I think it's one of those things, Suzanne, where, you know, I assume that I am superwoman Mm -hmm. forever and ever and ever. And that regardless of whether I'm 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, there should never be a skip. I should never, I should never not be able to do every single thing I want at the level that I want them done. And I just, I don't, I don't think that's true. I think it's something that I have to acknowledge and Mm -hmm. take and recognize. Right. I mean, each day is different, right? Some days you, you wake up with less energy. Some days you have more energy and you're able to get more done. And there are certain, same with certain periods of your life where your energy may be less. You might have a lot of commitments. So today we want to give you uh, as a listener some permission to step back for a second, take a break and give yourself uh, uh, some time to reflect on your emotional state and to handle yourself with lots of loving kindness, patience, and grace. So this is some time to focus on yourself a little bit and think about what must be, might be going Easy on. To say, it is. To do, it is true. Easy We're to giving say, you permission to <laughs> today. It's all about you. Yeah. <laughs> Becca and Suzanne said, as we were discussing this episode, we realized that the, the trifecta of depression, anxiety, and mood swings are all really closely related. And they have a ton of overlapping symptoms. So the way we're going to describe this is we're going to ask you to think about a Venn diagram. Come on, Mm -hmm. go back to high school. You remember those circles that overlap. So each circle is something different. But when they come together in the center, they share the same thing. So for the purpose of this podcast today, our Venn diagram circles are going to be depression, anxiety, and greediness. I agree. Good idea. Yeah, I brought a tear to my eye just to say 
Okay. <laughs> and it, it can tell you okay. as a provider, same so, thing. It's really hard to tease those apart. Depression, anxiety, just plain moodiness, maybe from circumstance or situation. There's a lot of overlap between them too, even, even when we're making a quote unquote diagnosis and looking at symptoms. For instance, uh, many people with both anxiety and depression experience uh, periods of intense rumination where they can't turn their brains off. You know, when you think about you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't get back to sleep because you're thinking about things. That's uh, one of those examples. Um, yeah, the the thing that I should have said to the lady at, right. the, lot, at the grocery store yeah, two right. weeks ago. You, uh, you're yeah. thinking about that same scenario over and over again and wish you had said or done something <laughs> different. Another good example. Or pain. You can have pain in both depression and anxiety uh, as a formal diagnosis. So probably good for us to yeah, lots, lots of, of, lots overlap, of overlap, but we're going to take them a little bit one at a time and, and describe them a little for you. Okay. Thinking about your Venn diagram, circle number one, mm-hmm. we're going to call moodiness. I was surprised to learn that mood is not a formal mm-hmm. medical diagnosis, but that doesn't mean you're not yeah. feeling your mood <laughs> change. It, it can present itself as something like going from I'm fine to mm-hmm. I'm angry. Your story that I mentioned earlier. Fine mm-hmm. to intense sadness, right? Mm-hmm. I'm fine and then I'm not. If you think about moodiness, you can track mood because it's usually temporary. You don't go around moody all the time. At least I hope you don't. And if you do, you're probably not just moody. Something yeah. else might be going on. You can, you can also track your moodiness to an event. Like maybe I had a shitty mm-hmm. night's sleep. Well, yeah, when I slept three hours my mood is gonna be affected the next day for sure. Or maybe I'm just about to start my period. Things like that, those are gonna impact the moodiness level. It's it's one of those things that, the difference between moodiness in, the re- in my regular life, pre-perimenopause, and perimenopause is mm-hmm. the intensity of the swing. The, the swing went from zero to 100 in a second. My filter just flew off completely, Things I never would have expressed aloud mm-hmm. became the norm. And that's what terrified not only me, because that was didn't feel like me at all, yeah. but my family was like, mm-hmm. who the hell are you? Right. <laughs> the, the good news is, is that I mean, I'm happy to report that I am mostly back to my cheerful Yay! self. Yay! <laughs> so there, there is a light, there is a light mm-hmm. at the end of the moody tunnel. <laughs> so that's how, that's how we can think about the first circle yeah. of our Venn right. diagram, moodiness, yeah. right? Something, right. nothing to something really fast, but also potentially trackable if I was Right, really and it's not a formal it. medical diagnosis. It's just something that you might be experiencing as kind of out of control emotions. But the, the other two circles are have formal, are formal diagnoses that we use in medicine. And one of them, it's a, is depression. And I, and I think, you know, in order to kind of highlight it, we're going to go over some of the, the common symptoms of depression. And usually your provider will kind of take several, if you have several of these, they, they might say that you might be depressed and offer treatment options. And then we'll go into anxiety and what those symptoms might be. But my story about depression is uh, yeah. that I had uh, in my mid-40s, I had gotten really busy. I decided to start another business in addition to my family practice business with a group. 
Because <laughs> I you're not busy enough and being, being a, a mom of three doctor. kids, right? And I thought I could help these other women out. Uh, you know, I'm a physician. I can be the medical director. So we, I started an aesthetic practice, remodeling an office space and subleasing it. And I was ha- really trying to juggle my responsibilities at my family practice job and my responsibilities to that business and this new business with bookkeeping and and helping these other women out. I was having trouble with sleeping at that time. I also was having really heavy periods and I had just had an ablation for my heavy periods. I just woke up one night just with and couldn't get back to sleep. One of those nights where I was having difficulty sleeping. Surprise, surprise. And I had this idea in my head that I couldn't get out of it where I thought, you know what? I could just walk downstairs. There's some nice sharp knives in my drawer. If I I could slip my wrists and I could really be done and I'd be totally done with having to deal with this hard schedule and all these demands. I mean, that actually came to me as something that I could possibly do. I mean, luckily it was short lived. Luckily I talked myself out of it very quickly. I have a lot to live for. Uh, but it just was a moment where I realized, well, maybe I need to get some help. So I did go to counseling. And I want to also note, I was actually on antidepressants at that time, too. So so I, I had I had, was uh, <laughs> thought I was being treated, but things had gotten bad enough where it was time to get some additional help. Right. And, and that's terrifying because that's mm-hmm. I know. You, right. And that's mm-hmm. not you. And it, it, it's like, it's the, cra- yes. the crazy talking, right? And mine wasn't nearly as dramatic, but I recall waking up in the morning after sleeping for an hour and a half and, and just laying there with no mm-hmm. motivation to get right. up. Here's the crazy part. Everything was fine. I, I, I had a great job. I loved the work I was doing. I had this great team. I had a loving family. I was making good money. I mean, yeah, I was smack dab in the middle of a right. pandemic. But still, it's so crazy. And I would ask myself, you know, what do you... And again, that whole idea of, are you kidding me? You are fussing mm-hmm. about your life right now. And just... Which, of course, made me feel shittier. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I was feeling shitty because I didn't have any motivation. And it was insane. That, again, mm-hmm. not me at all. But I didn't... I wasn't making the connection and I, you know, I put my big girl pants on and do it like so many of us do, but it will. Right. Certainly and there are definitely things that, that we can do seeking the, the, the help of a provider that, and there are treatment options. So it's really important to remember that you're not alone and that there are people there that can help you. So some of the, yeah. So talk about some so of the some depression. Of the symptoms the of depression. depression. Symptoms. Uh, include prolonged sadness. So when your mood is sad for weeks or months, then that's might be not just moodiness. That might be a symptom of depression. You might have unexplained crying spells, might have changes in your appetite where you either feel like you don't want to eat at all, or you want to eat too much. You just feel like, oh, I just can't get enough to eat. I mean, that's a way to kind of self-soothe might have trouble with sleep. You might have an early insomnia where you can't fall asleep at all. You feel like you're tired, lay down, no sleep comes. Or a late insomnia, which is where you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't get back to sleep. Might have irritability, anger, worry, agitation. 
You might even have anxiety as a symptom of depression, uh, which is part of where those Venn diagrams overlap. You might feel pessimistic. You know, the glass is, is always half empty instead of half full. It is. I don't even have a glass. There is no glass. Or you might also have just indifference, where you just feel detached to life, like you don't feel like anything matters. You know, you're not not really all that happy, and you're not really all that sad. Just kind of indifferent. Might have loss of energy. In fact, that's a really big, uh, common symptom of depression for patients when they see me. Hey, doc, there's something really wrong. I'm just tired all the time. I feel like I could. I want to sleep all the time. There's got to be something off with my blood work. What, what can we do about it? So that sometimes can be a symptom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might feel, like I said, like you just need to sleep all the time. You also might have feelings like of guilt where you feel like you just... Uh, like you're doing everything wrong, that you can't please people, that you might be worthless, that you don't have value, that you're not contributing. You might have this inability to concentrate, so have trouble being able to read a book, for instance, and you just keep going over the same paragraph over and over, or you can't uh, concentrate on work. Uh, might have a hard time. And, and this right. is over time. Yeah, right. This, this is not day. just me. Just to make sure, because we've all done that thing with the book. <laughs> yeah. I think I just right. That, you might just be tired if that's the case. You know, it might be time to go to sleep, uh, if, you know, if it just happens over one one period. But also having difficulty making decisions. That sometimes is a symptom of depression. Uh, a big one is a big uh, sign might be that you have uh, an inability to have pleasure in things that used to give you pleasure. So if there's something that you used to really like to do, and now, boy, it just doesn't seem like it uh, does this does that for you anymore. That might be the sign that something's yep. that something's going on. You just your personality changes. That yeah. sucks. Yeah. Because everybody's got their everybody's yeah. got their release valve, right? That thing that when the world is on you and it's feeling too much, I can go do this thing. And it right. brings me back to center. And when you don't want to do that right. thing anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Take care. Yep. And yep. sometimes people will become socially withdrawn where they just don't want to go anywhere. They just want to stay home. They don't want to call their friends. They don't reach out. Um, they just end up alone at home sitting around. It kind of, you know, and I, I will say that, that I think a lot of people who after the pandemic, we got used to being isolated and withdrawn. And uh, uh, there are still people who are having trouble getting out there and, and being with other people. And I think it's important to remember yeah. that's an, that's, uh, that skill to be able to interact with other people is really important to fostering good mood. So it's important for us to connect with other people. It helps us live longer. It's a part of being human. So, so if you're feeling like that, that might be something to look a little closer at as a symptom of depression. Um, and, and even, and if I could just point out here too, is I've been reading a lot about, um, it, it doesn't have to be like all your best friends. Cause maybe you don't live in the same place that yeah. all your best friends is there's a, I think it's called like weak mm-hmm. social connections. So that's even, t- even mm-hmm. chatting with the neighbor, uh, while you get the mail or sit, you know, right. talking to the cashier at the grocery store, 
if you still go to a yeah. grocery store that has cashiers. <laughs> um, but it, it, and it's 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 those tiny interactions that actually also make a difference as well. I'm which so I found glad really that you mentioned that, Becca, because it doesn't have to be that you have this big group of uh, of your best friends that you do everything with. You're absolutely right. Just fi- having connections with other humans on a day-to-day basis, and it might be your neighbor, it might be might be uh, a kid you see at the grocery store. You're absolutely right. Maybe volunteering, getting out there and volunteering is a great way to meet other people who are, are friendly and like-minded. So depression also has some physical symptoms. So some people are surprised to hear this. You might have uh, unexplained aches and pains, especially in uh, what we think of as a fibromyalgia distribution. So like really sore neck. Yeah. I don't know what that means. If it's a uh, fibromyalgia is kind of a chronic pain but depression can also have this chronic pain that affects a lot of different areas of your body, like your neck might be sore, your elbows, your low back and hips. Those are common places that might all be feel like they're painful. Uh, you might also have thoughts of that you want to kill yourself uh, or just even continue to think about dying or killing somebody else as a symptom of depression. So those are all kind of uh, symptoms. Yikes. If you're having a suic- if you're having suicidal thoughts or homicidal thoughts like that, of course you'd want to seek help right away, especially professional help as soon as you can. That's that's more of a warning sign that it's time to to really change something. That it's time to reach out and find somebody to help you. So. Yeah. And Suzanne, when we talk about depression, are you also talking, it's usually not one of these things that we just discussed. It's typically a combination of reoccurring, pull any two or three off this list and make them happen over time equals depression. And what I didn't mention is that there are several depression scales and your physician might use a specific one. Uh, they might talk to you through talk you through the questionnaire, or they might have you fill out a questionnaire, and it is scored based on the number of symptoms and severity of the symptoms that you're having as to whether you might be having episodes of depression. And sometimes that is a good way using that questionnaire to go from month to month to see how treatment's helping you. Like uh, so, so sometimes that's a good way to keep track of what's happening. All right. Wow. <sighs> Okay, I don't even think I want to move on. But <laughs> so that okay, one's hard, but... right? It's hard to talk about. It's hard to hear, um, and the hard to be hard to really, be in really it. hard to be in it. It feels like you're in a box that nobody can reach into. Nobody understands you. So anxiety has some similar symptoms, and there's a generalized anxiety disorder. It's official diagnosis uh, as well, and some of its characteristics are constant worry. A lot of fears about certain things, like fear of going in public, fear of certain things like heights, thoughts that don't go away. So that rumination we were talking, I was talking about before, that you just can't get the specific idea or circumstance out of your head. You might avoid people or places, so that's that isolation again. You might have compulsions, like you feel like you want to wash your hands all the time, like you can never get your hands clean, or you've... Or lick or doorknobs. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Is that you, Becca? <laughs> no. I didn't know. I just yeah, heard about right, that right, on the right. internet somewhere. Or you want to clean things. Like, uh, you know, just feel like you're obsessively <laughs> need to clean. Things can't be clean enough. <laughs> Never my problem. Uh, no. 
it might feel restless, like, uh, you know, like it's hard for you to sit down and take a deep breath that you feel like you should be doing something all the time. Shortness of breath. So that's, uh, that's one of those symptoms of anxiety. Feeling nauseated. So sometimes like GI uh, symptoms, nausea or even diarrhea might be a symptom of anxiety. It affects your appetite so you don't feel like eating. A feeling like you can faint, lightheadedness dry mouth. So that's kind of like a, you know, when you're, when like you're nervous, when you're getting ready to speak or you're doing something, you know, you get that uh-huh. dry mouth and perspiring. Uh, that's the same thing that can happen in people have generalized anxiety all the time. Uh, you might have this shaking or kind of a resting tremor, or you might have trouble concentrating. And that's a similar symptom to depression. You just can't read that paragraph. Yeah. People with depression can have periods of anxiety and rapid heart rate and individuals with anxiety might have times of severe fatigue and lack of concentration that we typically think about with uh, depression. So there's, you know, there's that Venn diagram overlap that we're talking about. Tons and tons of these symptoms are right. can be found yeah. in both. And right, ugh, yeah, good. it was yeah. a good idea to put these all together. Hey, so let me ask you a question, and it's just something I think I know, yeah. but I need you to clarify. What's the difference between anxiety oh, and good a panic question. attack? So anxiety or generalized anxiety disorder is all the time, kind of a restless feeling that you have most of the time or a lot of the time going on for usually weeks or months. A panic attack occurs during a short period of time. And that usually is this feeling like somebody said boo to you. So that's your sympathetic system getting overstimulated. And those people out of the blue that, you know, without any triggers, nobody said boo, will feel like their heart is racing. They feel short of breath. They might have that dry mouth. They might also get feeling of numbness in your fingers and toes and around your mouth, ah. which is hyperventilation, like from getting low CO2 levels. And you might feel lightheaded, like you're going to faint. Oh. And sometimes people actually do pass out. Those people end up going to see the doctor uh, right, you know, pretty quickly. And we rule things out to make sure it's anxiety. Well, but Don't a lot of people... Don't a lot of people go to the emergency room with an anxiety attack? Yes, because that's attack? that rapid heart rate. And the, especially like the numbness yeah, and the yeah, heart thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So hard, oh. And hard to know the difference. You don't want to, if you're not sure, you don't want to assume it's, or it's an anxiety attack. You want to rule out a heart attack because that, of course, can be life-threatening. Uh, and you'd want to have the EKG done and the blood tests that the doctors have in order to make sure that that's not what's going on. Yeah. And then I think uh, some people are like, well, you know, if it's just a panic attack, I don't want to feel foolish and go to the emergency room, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And I think, you know, it's important (laughs) to note that, that at this point, when we're talking about perimenopause, that this is a time when women are feeling very vulnerable and out of control, right? Our bodies are different. Our thinking is different. Our emotions are changing because of this feeling of vulnerability Women may notice symptoms of PTSD or severe episodic anxiety returning at this period in their lives. So maybe you had a traumatic event in your teens or your 30s or even in, as a, in a child, you might be having a return of some of that anxiety, which uh, might be related to post-traumatic stress disorder. So remember that post-traumatic stress can happen after any severely emotional episode So like if you had sexual assault or you witnessed a death 
or you suffered a lot of verbal or, or physical abuse in childhood, that might be something that has led you to have post-traumatic stress disorder. It's really hard to treat PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder with medicines, but there are some non-medical medication treatments that are really available to you. So if for some reason you're trying treatments from your provider or trying herbals or trying hormones or seeing a counselor and you're not, not feeling like you're getting better, you might want to talk a little bit more about some of this tra these traumatic ep episodes you might have had in the past uh, so that you can get the proper treatment. That's just, br that's mm -hmm. just brutal. That's right. just brutal, right? Your body's going crazy on you anyway. You're getting, you're feeling potentially anxiety ridden mm -hmm. or moody and depressed. And then, and then if you've got some PT, throw, right. throw a little PTSD on top of that. And, and it has, can definitely yeah. trigger you. Just recognize, I mean, the, and the reason why we're bringing this up is you need okay. to recognize it. You need to recognize what's happening with all of this constellation of symptoms that if you do s suffer with PTSD, this could be triggering so, times for you as well. Well, my God, Suzanne. I mean, okay, you've brought me to my lowest lows <laughs> now, understanding that the <laughs> the perimenopausal trifecta of moodiness, depression, and anxiety. Right. Tell yes. me there's Luckily, there's many this. treatment options. There's a lot of different options for both depression and anxiety. So some of them are hormonal, especially if we know you're in perimenopause and some are non-hormonal. That means it might not be necessarily necessary for us to differentiate between whether this is anxiety or depression uh, or is this related to perimenopause exclusively because we can use some of those different treatment modalities for all of it. So we know, we know from years oh, of observation that mood is intimately related to hormones. Like you said, you know, when, when you're pregnant, sometimes you feel better. After pregnancy, you might have that postpartum depression. Or would you think about when women are PMSing, they they're tend to be a little bit uh, anxious and irritable. So we know that, that mood and, and hormones are very, very much interrelated. I just want to mention, you know, before we go dive deep into some of the treatment options, that one of the other symptoms of menopause that can mimic uh, anxiety is rapid heart rate. And I think you and I have talked about that as being a symptom for you. Uh, yeah. We have. Yes. Yeah, and it's for terrifying. For a lot of people with anxiety, men and women, they'll experience this rapid heart rate that occurs out of the blue. Uh, it might be associated with a panic attack or it just might be a rapid heartbeat. It might be when you're upset or it might wake you from sleep. Uh, yep. And yes. for, the, for some or people, it's associated with this feeling of impending doom, a sense that you can't catch your breath and a feeling of numbness like we talked about with the panic attack. For a woman in menopause or perimenopause, you might end up having a rapid heartbeat that occurs out of the blue uh, for a short period of time that even occurs at rest without those other symptoms. Uh, so that's an interesting mm. phenomena that might actually be a hot flash variant. Uh, so where you just have rapid heartbeat. <laughs> yes. Hot and I, we kind variant. of we addressed it a little bit when we were talking about hot flashes and how sometimes that might precipitate a woman to need a, a cardiac, cardiac evaluation with a Holter monitor. So you might have a rapid heartbeat, you know, because of a hot flash variant. And sometimes that rapid heartbeat might trigger a panic attack because you're thinking, what the heck is happening with my heart? And I think you described, you might've described that before about your 
heart about having the rapid heartbeat with a hot, they you know as a hot flash variant and how it just made your thinking go out of control yeah. of what could this possibly be? Am I having a heart attack? Do I need to go to the hospital? <laughs> but Right. Yeah, because who does that, right? I mean, in my whole life, I never, you know, my heart never just mm-hmm. went bananas because I was right. lying and, in bed. And just to be clear, <laughs> it is very important that if that's the first time you've ever had it, you've never been evaluated, of course you need to get your heart evaluated to rule out some sort of cardiac reason primarily like there's something wrong with your heart primarily you want to make sure a doctor does that for you either in the emergency room or the urgent care or at your clinic with an EKG and blood tests and then if that's all okay maybe we can say that this rapid heart rate is actually from uh from uh, as a as a heart hot flash variant Suzanne, tell me then, we've talked in a lot of the previous episodes about what hormone or hormones are specifically making this symptom happen. So what can we blame? <laughs> what can we blame the trifecta on uh, as far you as know, this hormone change medicine, goes? unfortunately, doesn't have, does not fully have its finger on exactly why it's occurring. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, right. Why study women? Why study <laughs> you know, women? It is, and it is hard oh, to gosh. say, okay, this hormonal change it causes this mood-related symptom because people are not that linear. Even though we try to do that, there's just too many factors. Yeah. We know that there might be a link to progesterone. You know, I think I mentioned before that progesterone is a feel-good hormone. It helps with sleep when we give it to people in perimenopause, typically. It promotes a feeling of well-being and sleep. Uh, so there is a decrease in progesterone that occurs uh, in our, prior to our, you know, our periods and in pregnancy, and when we're doing men, when we're going through menopause. So maybe that's part of the of the culprit. We also know that estrogen is one of those hormones that has a positive effect on the inflammation in the brain that can occur postmenopausally. So maybe there's actually things happening primarily in your brain uh, with uh, either neurotransmitters or inflammation that might be affecting mood. So there might be a little bit of a scientific explanation that we're still getting to the bottom of. That kind of science on, on the brains is something that's kind of newer in the last five to 10 years. So lots of research is coming out. We might have a little better, uh, better understanding of why that's happening. Okay, so uh, it's a uh, squidgy on mm-hmm. what exactly is making it. It sounds like a whole bunch yeah. of things coming together right. are making it happen. Now, okay, <laughs> fine. Right. What am I going to do about it? And I swear to God, do not tell me. And here's my biggest concern is that a woman walks into a doctor's office and says, I have these symptoms and might name some depression symptoms, might name some moodiness symptoms, might name some anxiety symptoms. Guess what? Before she can say, I got to change my tampon, she gets a prescription for antidepressants. Because antidepressants seems to be the answer to everything. So are you going to tell me that you're going to get antidepressants? I have to admit, as a provider, sometimes it's it's an easy solution. And and it can help. Probably 50% of the time it might be helpful. Um, Yeah, it can be. 50? 50% 50% of the time it's helpful. That means 50% right. of the time it ain't helpful. 50-50. <laughs> a coin toss. <laughs> it's 
cause. <laughs> oh, that's what I right. want my healthcare decisions <laughs> let's see. made on. Let's, let's see. Let me take out my trusty quarter. <laughs> heads. heads. Heads, you get right. an antidepressant. Dales, you get estrogen. Well, I think if we're talking about <laughs> treatment options, I think it's important to know you don't have to do anything, right? I mean, especially if your symptoms what? are more just moodiness. Maybe just educating your family, like you're doing right now with this podcast, having them listen in. Maybe it's best to just have a good sense of humor about it. Don't do anything at all. You know that your symptoms will get better um, after a period of time, you know, as your hormones regulate, as you get into that postmenopausal phase. I mean, that can take quite a while. It can be years before you get to that state. So it's important to remember that. But you don't have to do anything. Which... Um, by the way, is what I did. <laughs> right. I, did I didn't yeah. do anything. No, no, I didn't. I mean, I now my family is now terrified <laughs> of me, knowing the power mm-hmm. that I wield. But as far as any anything yeah. medicinal, right. I I didn't yeah. take anything. And it and and, and you right, were not offered anything either. I mean, my it, reign of terror. I guess uh, I if you were offered something at the time, do you think you would have taken something? Uh, just out of curiosity. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And just so you know, so what Suzanne is referring to is that when I went to my general practitioner and unloaded my bucket, um, no, wheelbarrow full of perimenopausal symptoms, my GP, who was female and my age, said, suck it up. <laughs> oh, man. No, she did. So I took uh, the professional's advice and yeah. I did. Well, you're so, a tough lady. Well, I know you can handle know. a okay. lot. That's for sure. Right. Or stupid. Yeah. I don't know. Well, and if you want to have a better quality of life, like you don't want to scare the crap out of your family, there there's a bunch of options. And we're going to talk about some of the first, some of the prescription options. So there are two basic prescriptions uh, that we will usually use for mood related issues in perimenopause. And, and there's several non-prescription strategies too. So we'll talk about those two. And in my practice, I like to first emphasize protecting sleep because that's generally one of the first things to go in anxiety and depression. Usually it really starts to affect sleep. You wake up feeling tired. You're not, you can't go about your day with that clear head and you're already having trouble with concentration because of mood. So I think fixing sleep is helpful. It also helps pain syndrome. So people who are having a lot of pain, if we can get them to sleep, it tends to help uh, that pain as well. So I generally will start with a medicine like amitriptyline, which is an older tricyclic antidepressant. Um, Those are also called TCAs. They're really inexpensive. They work well at low doses for people for this sort of thing. They help promote sleep. So when you take them, they actually make you sleepy and help you fall asleep. I also want to just interject at this point. I know it's, it sounds like I'm making fun of antidepressants, but I want to say for the record, I absolutely believe that antidepressants play a role in, oh, yeah. in treatment mm-hmm. options. <laughs> so right. it's not like, well, Becca doesn't believe. Yeah. I do believe. Um, I, I'm, I'm concerned about the overprescribing yes. of antidepressants, but working closely with a healthcare provider and understanding, like you got a whole litany of depression symptoms. Right. Of course I recommend it. <laughs> you take the antidepressants. So we yeah, also use medicines that, uh, for depression in menopause and perimenopause, like we do for depression other times of life. And one of the popular serotonin uptake inhibitors is venlafaxine. So that's one that we'll commonly use, but we'll also use Prozac and Zoloft too. If you're going to go with an antidepressant, usually those are best to use for at least nine months. 
And that's to help your brain Why? kind of grow in these certain mood-related areas so that when you go off of them, you don't have a rebound phenomena. So it's better if you can do it the whole nine months. That, that, that makes it so that when you decide to go off that you're more successful. You don't have to get back on them right away. So nine months. Okay, so it's a it's a commitment, right. but then right. again, so yeah. it's probably right? you'll have your symptoms at least that, <laughs> that amount of time. Ten years of period, right. and you have to taper them off too. Uh, when you know, rather than stopping them abruptly, because there's a syndrome you can have with stopping serotonin medicines where you get dizzy get this dizziness, this weird dizziness that can last one or two weeks. Uh, it almost feels like Eek. an out-of-body feeling. Uh, it's very, very strange. It goes away slowly over time, and, and it will, it may not happen at all, especially if you taper it down. Or if you're on a super, super low dose of a medicine, sometimes you can just stop uh, because you're just on the lowest dose anyhow. If you ended up just taking a quarter of an Elevil to help you sleep, then you might not have to taper that down. There's another medicine that we'll all okay. use called hydroxyzine that's used for anxiety and panic attacks. Sounds it's like a cookie. actually an antihistamine, <laughs> kind of like Benadryl. So that's uh, <laughs> that one I, I like because it gives the person the kind of the power to be able to relax and uh, may make them a little sleepy. And, and sometimes that keeps you from having a full-blown panic attack, knowing that I can do something about this. You know, it's not out of control. So even having that as one of the tools in the tool chest. Uh, yeah. I like right. that concept and I, I want to make a plea at this time to that patients uh, try to avoid benzodiazepines. Sometimes that can be offered as a short-term solution. That would be medicines like Valium, you know, Mother's Little Helper. Right? Isn't Mother's that Little Helper. That that's what it's called? <laughs> There's a whole song about it. There's a whole right. generation of women who like pop they value. They were probably like, perimenopausal, so right? <laughs> of course, there <laughs> were a lot of were. other issues for women at that time, right? Not not working or not having <laughs> autonomy. And But those medicines tend to worsen mood so they can tr- worsen depression for those people uh, who might have a tendency towards that, or or just even if you don't, uh, and they're habit forming. So if you take them uh, every day, oh, your body gets used to having that every day, just as if you were drinking alcohol every day. So they, they can be addictive. They're also not great for sleep uh, architecture. So you're not getting good restorative sleep. So sometimes we think, oh, it relaxes me, it helps me sleep. Uh, this is going to be good for me. It's not the good quality restorative sleep that you need. Same with alcohol. I want to note too, okay. alcohol also doesn't give you good restorative Shh. sleep. If you think that that's helping you go to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've already <laughs> talked about that. I don't right. want to talk about that anymore. We're going to stay away from right. benzodiazepine. Yeah. Exactly. No value right. for you. So there's that class, right? We talked about that as the, the, that kind of class of medicines that might be useful. Uh, another approach is actually okay. just going for the hormone therapy because that's what caused it in the first place, right? I mean, that's what's that that in, that yeah. trouble with uh, hormones, uh, kind of being imbalanced or swinging all over the place. That might be part of the reason why your moods are bad. So you might either use a regular prescription or bioidentical, or we also call those compounded hormones. So, and we'll discuss our different treatment options really specifically in future podcasts because there's a lot of, even within each one of those categories, 
so if you're also having other symptoms like hot flashes, skin and hair changes, uh, you, and you're also having the moodiness, maybe for you using hormone therapy is the best way to go. So, and for women in perimenopause who are still having periods, those, especially those heavy periods, birth control pills might be a good option because they can also help your mood. So sometimes we'll even use those in women ah. who are, you know, teenagers in their 20s to help mood. Well, you can take a continuous kind of uh, birth control pill that's a pack that's three months long, and that will keep you from having periods for three months, and that seems to help mood as well. So that's another option. Yeah. I like the sound yeah, of those. And, and okay. then there's things okay. that are not even medicines. A couple of those are cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's counseling. That's one of the strategies in counseling. There's another one called acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT. That's another kind of counseling. It's a good. It's really good, okay. actually. Kind of uh, helps you make goals and deal with what's happening now, rather than going digging deep into uh, kind of past uh, like family dynamics and that sort of thing. These are usually trained counselors who have experience in either one of these techniques. Uh, sometimes those counselors can also provide neurofeedback and biofeedback. So those are um, treatment modalities that they can do in their office where you basically hook you up uh, with probes on your head to a machine and you can see what's happening with your brain waves and use breathing or images in order to help control that and kind of get you out of that panicky state a little bit. And it can actually help focus. So they, oh. you're, they're training, they can see the brainwave activity that's, that's unfocused and get you back into a more focused state. Those are actually very helpful. Um, right now I'm focused on my hot flash. You can tell. Yeah. Uh, we're fanning <laughs> away with a big, nice old fan she just had kept in her desk drawer. A very good Becca. <laughs> It's because right. I don't have my ice cube, but okay, this right. will work. And also, don't what forget, I want to I make sure I re remind everybody about acupuncture, uh, that it's another thing that can be very helpful for mood, too. So we'll have a whole episode uh, with an, our friend Stephanie, the acupuncturist, who will help us uh, understand how this approach works. And so now we also have herbal options. I mean, we're just going down a full list of lots of options, right? I think it's important. It's you know I love options. Options help me yeah. make choices right. and keep me in control. <laughs> right. I like control. Yep. Mm. Some of them All include right. St. John's wort. So that's an herbal you can get in a little gel cap. Valerian root. In fact, all of these come in standardized extracts that have a gel cap. You don't necessarily have to make a tea. They, you might even be able to get a tincture as well. Both work about the same. Uh, so St. John's wort, okay. valerian root chase tree berry which is also good for hormone regulation passion flower it's a nice relaxing herbal kava kava also relaxing uh, wild yam cream which is a kind of a mimicker of progesterone which we called our our um feel-good hormone they might these yeah put on my right. thin skin <laughs> right. put, put it on thin your skin, skin. right Yep, they might. They, these we think might work actually, like on serotonin. Like we know, St. John's work works a lot, like Prozac, um, and some of them are more adaptogens. So ashwagandha, which is a, an herbal, also is an adaptogen, uh, and kava kava is more of a relaxing. Chase tree is more of an adaptogen. So those are just different terminologies for some of the herbals. So adaptogens are those plants that help us maintain homeostasis. 
So the other thing I want to always emphasize is that exercise is really good for stress reduction. So that's a good thing to incorporate, even if it's walking, you know, uh, especially walking outside. For some reason, that seems to be better for mood. Exercise uh, and avoiding alcohol. Uh, Alcohol is one of those things that worsens depression and also can affect that good sleep hygiene. So those are important. We also know meditation and yoga are very helpful. Yay, yoga. Yay, yoga. Uh, yoga is actually has yeah. studies uh, showing its benefits in, in, uh, for PTSD sufferers who are veterans. So they have some veteran studies in PTSD that yoga is very helpful. Yeah, so well, I just want nice. to say that the Perimeta podcast team would like to remind you, the listener, gently that if you're having thoughts of harming yourself or feeling, feeling suicidal, please seek help right away. So this can be seeing your provider, sharing your thoughts with someone close to you, don't be isolated and alone, or calling a hotline. In the U.S., you can call the National Suicide and Crisis Hotline at 988, just three numbers, and receive information for your local agency that can help. Yeah, Don't put that one off. You matter too much. So what you said, I'm going to recap. There was a lot there, but what, what you said is you can think of a Venn diagram made up of three circles and one circle's moodiness that takes into account those crazy ass mood swings, makes you feel like you're someone else. Luckily, those that moodiness can come and go, not can come and go. Mm-hmm. It comes and goes and it's not a forever thing. It's associated with things like not sleeping, uh, your next period coming. The second circle of hell, I mean, Venn diagram, is depression. Inability to enjoy things, a feeling of hopelessness, not not liking the things that you used to like, feelings of worthlessness, all of those things fall into the depression circle. The third circle, anxiety, whether it comes in the form of a panic attack or persistent worry, persistent fear, that rapid racing heartbeat can often be attributed to anxiety. So take all three of those circles, start kind of crushing them together, and you've got that trifecta of perimenopausal Mm -hmm. dread. But the good news is that there are solutions, and you should see your healthcare provider to help you clarify your diagnosis. This is really important, and I don't think we talked about it enough, but when you go to the doctor and you start talking about some of these depression or anxiety symptoms that you might be having, they're going to start asking you some questions to find out if, you know, are we falling closer into the depression bucket and what do we need to do about that? Or is this more of an anxiety thing, even though they overlap a little bit, but talk to your healthcare professional about this um, so that you can get treatments. There are prescription treatments that ha- that can take care of antidepressants. There are things that can help you with your anxiety. There are definitely non-hormonal, non-pharmaceutical uh, treatments that you can do. Lots of herbals, mm-hmm. acupuncture, um, cognitive therapy, um, seeing a therapist so that I can talk through some of the things that are that are keeping me back, that are that are preventing me from living my best life, and or mm-hmm. nothing. Nothing is an option, believe it or not, mm-hmm. and you make it out the other side. Um, lots of lots of information there. As ever, we, on our website, the Perry Menno Podcast, we will have a blog where we reference the medication Suzanne referred to um, and some of the treatment options so that you don't have to write all those down. So you can go there and mm-hmm. look at it. 
Let's talk about that next episode. In keeping with our most commonly complained about perimenopause topics, next time we're going to talk about your hair and why it's falling out everywhere (laughs) but on your chin, where it's sprouting (laughs) like cables. (laughs) Join us as you clean gobs of hair out of the drain on the next Perimenopodcast. If you would like to visit our website where reference materials and links to other podcasts are held, please visit us at www.theperimenopodcast.com. If you have questions, comments, thoughts for another episode, please feel free to send us an email at theperimenopodcast at gmail.com. Find more episodes wherever you get your favorite podcast. Please do us a favor. If this information has been helpful for you, please like us, write a review if you're so inclined, and most importantly, share this podcast with another sister so she can be informed too.